We'll be reading this morning from 1 Peter, beginning in chapter 2, verse 18. And this is the word of the living God, as Peter writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And we begin there, verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure it, but when you do good and you suffer for it, you endure it? That is a gracious thing in the sight of God, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to one who judges justly. He himself bore his sins and his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. There in verse 3. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Well, good morning to all of you. If you would turn with me in your Bibles once again to 1 Peter chapter 3. We just read from First Peter chapter 3, we'll be looking at verse 7 this morning. We're going to be talking about precious to her husband. We're going to talk about how husbands are to think of their wives, precious to her husband. In a couple's early days, the man is attentive and he's hanging on her every word. He's noticing her moods her beauty, and overlooking her weaknesses. He may say something like, I want to know everything about you. Tell me more. And she may be thinking, wow, this guy really cares for me, cares about me. But he's not thinking, how can I care for this delightful creature? He's thinking about, he has his eyes on the initial bliss of married life. 
He's not thinking about all of the hard work that's going to follow that to keep the joy and blessing in marriage. We've talked about the hard work involved in godly husbanding as we've gone through Ephesians 5. But there's a bit more that God wants us husbands to know, to learn, so that we can do this well. Guys, today's lesson is continuing ed for husbands. In 1 Peter 3, 7, the apostle is going to explain that husbands are to study their wives to properly care for them. He has to study her to properly care for her. And they are to treat their wives as precious. Husbands are to study their wives to properly care for them and are to treat them as precious. This is another way in which New Covenant husbanding is different from all other folks out there in the way that they carry out their marriages, the way that men carry out their headship. Our New Covenant headship men must be distinct from what everybody else out in the world does. It must be distinctly Christ-like. As we've seen already in Ephesians 5, Jesus is the pattern for the way we are to love our wives. So Christian husbanding must be fully, thoroughly Christ-centered. First thing we're going to talk about today as we get into 1 Peter 3.7 is this. Husbands, follow Christ's pattern of exemplary behavior. Follow Christ's pattern of exemplary behavior. We read from 1 Peter 2 and a bit of 3. Let's look again at verse 7, chapter 3 of 1 Peter, verse 7. We'll just get started here. Peter says, You husbands likewise. And we'll stop there. Why does he say likewise? What's he talking about? Words like that make us look back to say, okay, what has he been saying here? We can't just jump in and pull this out of context and, and not pay attention to anything else around it. We actually actually have to go back a little earlier in chapter 2 before what... Kevin read for us. So look with me, First Peter chapter 2, back to verse 11. So here, after talking about us being living stones and a, a royal priesthood and Christ as the cornerstone, in verse 11, as he's applying these truths to them, he says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may on account of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. And so you can already see there, he's calling us to behavior that is exemplary, but it's also Christ-like. It's behavior that's going to bring glory to God. And that's how our, our husbanding needs to be distinct Distinctly Christian. It needs to be such that will bring glory to God. The idea here of excellent behavior that he calls all of us to, because as we back up there, it's now applying to all of us believers before we get into the wives and husbands section. It describes behavior that is beautiful to behold. Behavior that is excellent in character. It is praiseworthy. It is good. 
it is useful. Do like Jesus did in Matthew seven seventeen and following, where he talked about a tree with good fruit. It's a picture in your mind, a tree with fruit that is beautiful to behold, fruit that's pleasant to taste, that's nourishing to the body. And that's the picture he's calling all of us to with this excellent behavior. And in verse 21, he says, we are, we are called to this. We're called to this excellent, distinctly Christian behavior of what? Well, just like we saw back in Ephesians 5.21, behavior of submitting to one another. Submitting appropriately in our various relationships. And so what he does after verses 11 and 12 is... He says we are to submit to our governing authorities, to the government, verses 13 through 17. Then we are to submit to our employers. And in that day, he's talking uh, to slaves. And in our day, we can take from those same principles how we should respond to our employers, verses 18 and 19. And then in chapter 3, he starts that chapter out in the first six verses, saying, wives, you are to submit to your husbands. You see, this, this submitting continues on. And then... When he gets to verse 7, our text this morning, husbands are to submit in a special way to their wives. And I say that because it's going to be different than the way that wives submit to their husbands. So husbands are to submit in a special way. And we'll, we'll talk about that. This excellent behavior is Christ-like behavior. You see, right in the middle of this section on submitting... He talked about submitting to government, submitting to employers. Then, before he gets to wives and husbands, he gives the pattern, the model that all of us are to follow. And that pattern is Christ. As Christ himself, who, being fully God, submitted to suffering and death. Look at Second or 1 Peter 2, verses 21 to 23 for you have been called for this purpose of, of submitting to the suffering the trials and these particular relationships that God has for us you've been called to this since Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example a pattern for you to follow in his steps he is the one who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. While being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And so there, Christ is our pattern. And so he follows that, talking about wives and husbands. So he says... First, in chapter 3, still, it, it's kind of an unfortunate chapter break. It shouldn't break there, really, uh, it, to keep the context. But he says, right after talking about Christ, he says, in the same way, you wives. In the same way as what? same way as Christ. The same way that Christ submitted to suffering and death, you submit to your husbands. That's Christ-like. And then, when he gets to the husbands in verse 7, in Greek it's the same word. And some translations like the one I'm using change that. They say in the same way, but it's the same word. So you could say likewise, in the same way, whichever. Husbands, in the same way, in the same way as what? Same way as the wives? 
You're to submit? No. Same way as Christ. It goes back to Christ. You're to submit like Him. He is your pattern. Now, it's going to look different in each of our relationships, isn't it? The way we submit to... There's some similarities, but the way we submit to the government is going to be different than the way we submit to our employer, than the way that a wife submits to her husband, and the way that a a husband submits to his wife in the way we're going to talk about, to her needs in particular. In different ways, we each submit to God's plan and follow in Jesus' steps. MacArthur explains, submission, here's talking about verse 7 now. Submission is the responsibility of a Christian husband as well. And then he references Ephesians 5.21, which we've studied before. And then he goes on. Though not submitting to his wife as a leader, and that's key. And, and I know we've, we've dealt with this a little bit in the past, but uh, feminists look at that and they say, well, okay, husbands, they need to submit to their wife as a leader just as the wife submits to her husband as a leader. I mean, that's... Double speak, you know that that doesn't make any sense. Okay, and that isn't at all what he's talking about in either Ephesians five or here. But MacArthur says, not submitting to his wife as a leader, a believing husband must submit to the loving duty of being sensitive to the needs, fears, and feelings of his wife. In other words, a Christian husband needs to be subord needs to subordinate his needs to hers whether she's a Christian or not. And so, he's writing to Christian wives how they should respond to their husbands, saved or not, and to husbands, how they should respond, Christian husbands, how they submit or respond to their wives, saved or not. Okay? So, he's talking to Christian husbands here. And even if your wife isn't saved, this is how you have to respond to her. So, this verse provides the Christian husband with instructions regarding the care of his wife. And so, men, husbands, or those who want to become husbands, pay attention to this because these are the instructions that we have. These are our marching orders on how we are to care for our wives. So, let's look again verse 7. You husbands, likewise, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker vessel, since she is a woman. So the second point we make here, or Peter's making, is this. Study your wife's femininity to develop a plan of tender care. Study your wife's femininity to develop a plan of tender care. And and I put in there to develop a plan because I wanted to make sure that we, we guys say, well, okay, yeah, I, I'm thinking that way. I want to make sure we're doing what we are thinking, Right. Okay, so we need to make a plan and probably need to add in there and then, you know, execute the plan, right? So, um, but we need to get it right in our heads and then carry it out, how we are to tenderly care for our wives. So, Peter's initial instruction here is to live with our wives. And you may say, well, that sounds kind of obvious if you're married, you know, and but the... The Greek word he uses, he actually takes two words and he puts them together. He has the word, the verb for dwell, just to dwell, like you might dwell in a house or something. But he puts a preposition at the front of it, the preposition, Greek preposition, soon, which means with or here, together with. Dwell together with your wife. And he's, he's driving home something more than just live in the same house. 
he's saying that a husband ought to dwell in a close, intimate relationship with his wife. And, and as MacArthur says, in which they cherish one another. That's the kind of closeness and intimacy that he's calling for, that Peter's calling for through the Holy Spirit, where we cherish our wives. So Peter helps us know what he means here by live with, by adding three descriptions. How is it that we are to closely live with, dwell with our wife? First, he must do so in an understanding way, or as the King James renders this literally, according to knowledge. According to knowledge. So, so it's going to be more than merely just being considerate. And some translations translate it that way as, as being considerate or consideration of your wife. And it's more than that. It's according to knowledge. Men, we have to seek to understand our wives. Consider and take into account her spiritual, emotional, and physical needs and her makeup and what what it is, what... On the one hand, what's true of, of women generally, but then about your wife particularly. You have to study her in particular. This is Peter's way of talking about the nurturing and the tender care that uh, the protection and everything that we talked about in Ephesians 5. It's just Peter's wording and the way that the Holy Spirit worked through him to write this. You must consider your wife's personality. Consider her weaknesses. Be sensitive to her needs. Tenderly care for her. Now, you guys, you may be thinking like, okay, well, I haven't seen a book written yet about my wife. You know, there's a lot of books out there about women in general, some better and some worse, And but I don't see that there's one about my wife. Well, there is a wealth of information about your wife. And do you know where it's at? Deep in her heart. Okay? All right, so then how do you get to that? Well, first say, don't wait for her to share it with you, because she won't. Okay? She's not going to volunteer. You know... I really lose it whenever... You know, she's not going to tell you those kinds of things. I'm really fearful when. I get really anxious when. Those kinds of things. Okay? So it's your job to go get it. Husband, that's one of your jobs. Is to draw out of her that information. Think about Proverbs 20 verse 5. A plan in the heart of a man, or in this case, a woman, is like deep water. Amen, guys? Right? It's true of all of us. But really, our, our wives' hearts, it's like deep water. We have to go and draw it out. It's not just you know floating up on the surface, right? But a man of understanding, that should be you, husbands, me, a man of understanding draws it out. Okay, so we have to be good at asking questions. We have to be good at drawing out of her heart. And we're going to talk about, I'll give you an example here in a minute. Another thing, though, to remember, guys, now, just so I don't completely scare you, the learning curve 
is, is steep at first. Okay, well, because you're, you're learning all the new stuff, right? But don't think that at that point it just it levels off for the rest of your life. It's like, okay, first year, got it. I know her. Okay, she's a complex person. Okay, she changes. Which is good because part of that change is growth. So as she's growing, she's changing. Which, guess what? You have to keep learning. Okay. And um, a book I'm going to refer to in a minute by Lou Priolo, he talks about how in their uh, early in their marriage, and this goes way back, so some of you probably don't even know what this is, but because um, I don't know if, they, know if they still make tab anymore, but <clears throat> his wife hated, she told him she hated tab, she liked Diet Pepsi. So he thought he was really being, you know, the wonderful husband of the year. And he, they stopped to get gas, he ran in the store, she said, grab me some, you know, something cold to drink, and... And and so he goes, I know, I listened that time. I know what she likes. Diet Pepsi. And he came across Tab first, and he's like, no, she said she hates Tab. I remember that. You know, pat myself on the back, right? So he gets her the Diet Pepsi, brings it out, and she's, oh, thanks. He goes, what's wrong? Well, I was hoping for a Tab. And he's like, you said you hate Tab. I know, but I'm kind of getting to where I'm starting to prefer it. Okay? Hence, that is your wife. Okay? She's going to... Now, that wasn't necessarily spiritual growth, but I don't know that either one of those... You know, but... But she's going to change. And so this is a lifelong task. You have to be studying her. And so, yes, the, the, the learning curve is steep at the first. And if you... You've been married a while and you've never done this. Okay, then it's now going to be steep, you know. But you'll get to a point where it, it won't be leveled off, but it'll be not quite so steep of a climb. Okay, so... And remember, too, as I said, because she is a person, persons are complex. We're all complex. We're just... We're different. You know, we joke about, you know, husbands or wives are more complex or whatever, but... We're all complex, just in our own ways. And as a complex person, you're never going to know everything about your spouse. You might think you do, but you don't. Okay? She doesn't even know everything about herself. There will come times where she's like, you know, I never realized it, but, you know. And just like, we're that way. So make it a joyful pursuit of knowing the precious gift that God has given you. And I hope you hear the words in that. Make it a joyful pursuit, because God has given you a precious gift. And that's what you're you're pursuing, the knowledge of her. You have to spend time together. You have to ask her questions, and then you have to listen. Okay, that's where we tend to be a little weak. And then, if you listened... Ask even deeper questions. Because remember, you're drawing out of that deep well of your wife's heart. Study her. Be a lifelong student where your wife is the subject matter. You should be a lifelong student of your wife in that way. Okay, here's an example. You might ask your wife, just you just you know no reason you just want to know her 
And one of the questions you ask, what, what's your biggest fear right now? Okay, you, you want to know. And maybe she says something like this. Well, my biggest fear is that our children might never trust in Christ. Okay, well then, okay, follow-up question, husband. You would say, well, what about that causes you fear? And she may respond, well, I just couldn't handle knowing that they would spend an eternity in hell. I just couldn't handle it. Okay, now, husband, you have your work cut out for you. Because she shouldn't... That's not right thinking. The fact that she had fear, fine, let's address that. But to say, I couldn't handle that, that's not biblical, okay? So then you're going to help her to find rest in God's character, even if the worst happens. Because some of our children are not going to follow Christ. And we have to know how to find peace in God's character even if that the worst happens. <clears throat> and so you will be praying for her. And you'll keep checking back in. How are you doing, honey? How is the, the fear meter on that? And, and continue encouraging her. So that's the, kind of an example. <clears throat> so Peter said, first thing about how to dwell with her, to do so in an understanding way, according to knowledge study her. Second, remember that she is a weaker vessel. Now, vessel is just a word for vessel, okay? And But think here, a breakable, like a glass face, okay? And we're going to come back to that, so just hold on to that. Let's talk about the word weaker. Weaker does not mean that she is inferior spiritually or intellectually, um, some people today out there are saying that, and that's not true. Okay, Christians are saying that. She's not weaker spiritually or intellectually. Why? Why do I say that? Because women are called to exercise the same mental capacities and spiritual duties as men are. They're called in Scripture, just like we men, to be considering what the, the apostles have written, what Jesus has written, to be thinking deeply, to be pondering uh, they are to be instructing other women, instructing their own children. The same kind of duties we're called to. Okay, so they're not inferior spiritually or intellectually. But she is weaker physically, and I think that's what Paul or Peter's talking about here. Um, that, that should be obvious. I know people in our day out in the world, they have a little trouble with that. But, you know, science is very clear, biology is very clear, men... On average, by, by and large, are, are stronger, in particular, stronger than their wives. They're more, uh, in, in many, many different ways. And I think it's physical. He's talking about, husband, she needs your strength to protect and provide. Remember, that's what God has created you to do as a man. That's two of the things, to protect and provide. And she needs your strength for that. And one thing to notice here is that Peter uses a comparative term, weaker. He doesn't say she is a weak vessel. She is a weaker vessel. What does that mean? He's not saying, husband, you are strong and she is weak. He's not saying that. That's what we hear. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, 
Husband, you are weak, and she's weaker. I'm talking here like 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 and 10, when Paul there reflects on his weaknesses and how God will be strong in his weaknesses. We men, we need to understand that we are, uh, you know, we're not God. We're not invincible. We're, we are, we have weaknesses. Our wife is weaker. Okay, that's important. Husband, when you recognize your own weaknesses, you're going to be more sympathetic to hers. And so we husbands have to recognize that, you know, I don't have it all together. And I have my own weaknesses, even physical weaknesses. And humility is indispensable. Now, some folks uh, say, well, but I think that women are also weaker emotionally. Have you ever heard that? If you read in you know either commentaries or read in the literature on men and women, and they they talk about that women are weaker emotionally, and and that's tempting to think that way because you know, women are are more out there with their emotions, and and sometimes some women can be very much out there with their emotions, and so we tend to just kind of characterize them and think that well that must be one of their weaknesses. I don't agree with that. Why? I think the fact that women are more emotional, more comfortable with their emotions, or however you want to say it, I think that that's actually a strength that God gave them. I think that's actually a part of how they image God. And I'll give you one really clear example. Compassion. Okay? So, you remember where the Hebrew word for compassion comes from? The word for what? Womb. The mom's womb. Okay? That word for compassion is, describes God. So, he and when He created women, He gave them compassion and made them, because of their womb and everything that goes with being a mother and, and the, the, all that goes into her love for her child and that he can use that word for womb to describe himself, to say, that's what I'm like in compassion. Okay? Well, that's an emotion. And women are, by God's design, more suited to that. Now, husbands, we have to have compassion too. And that's a lot of what we're talking about here. But your wife should be, God has created her to, to be more apt for that. And we can learn from her. Okay? But, her being more, I don't, I'm not trying to imply anything, more emotional, or the emotions are, are more uh, prominent in a woman typically is a strength. It's part of God, how God has created her in His image, to, to image certain things like compassion, okay? But, so, and it's also part of that, the whole idea of her, her femaleness, her femininity, and we're going to come to that in a little bit, okay? That's just a part of what God has created her to be. So it's not a weakness, but she is a sinner, just like you, husband, are, and sin will distort 
these things that were strengths. And so if your wife can sometimes let her emotions get out of control or to drive her to sin, to respond sinfully, that is a God-given strength that's been distorted by sin. And so then your job, remember Ephesians 5, is to help her deal with sin so that she's she's living out that God-given compassion appropriately in a way that is for God's glory, for the good of those around her. Does that make sense? So you see, so I don't think a woman, women are weaker by design emotionally, just physically, okay? Got a little more to say about all that. We'll come back to that. The third thing he says about how to dwell with her is this. He puts this phrase in there, since she is a woman. Now, I don't know about you ladies. I mean, you're like, well, what do you mean by that, right? You know, she's a weaker vessel since she's a woman, right? Now, that's not quite how Peter meant it, I don't think. But uh, sometimes you might read it that way. What he literally is saying is that the feminine one, okay? Your wife is the feminine one, okay? Her femininity, her femaleness. The husband should honor his wife's femininity, her femaleness. And I just want to make this statement about it. A wife's physical weakness and femininity are important parts of God's design, His design for her, so that she will be the suitable, complementary helper that the husband needs. Okay? So her the weaknesses he's talking about here, that she's a weaker vessel, and her femininity... They're thinking, you know, more emotions with compassion and all. That's by God's design so that she will be the suitable, complementary helper the husband needs. Okay? And you see, see what I'm trying to do here? I'm trying to get across to us. This is God's design. You know, because I know it'd be easy for us, husbands and wives, to look at the other sex and, and think like, oh, you know, that's so wrong. And... and not in these things. It's, not, it's by God's design that we are different. And He wants us to be different in these ways. We do uh, grow to become more like Christ. So husbands should become more compassionate, for example. But don't see her God-given weakness as bad. Okay, And ladies, don't ever... I know there are people who want you to feel that way. Well, you're you're weaker, so you're less than. There there have been people all through history that have you know wanted you to think that, and that's wrong. That's ungodly. That, that's wicked. The woman is weaker by design. God's design. He planned it that way. Okay. And so separate in your mind. Weakness by design and a sinful weakness. You see, I think that's where we get in trouble. We, we let those, you know, fuse together in our minds. And so we tend to think that it's all one, it's all bad. Or we may say it's all fine. And so her sinful weakness, well, that's just, you know, that's how God made her, so that's fine. No, these are, these are two different things. 
There are ways in which God has created her by design to be the weaker vessel. That's a good thing. That is, in, in a sense, her weakness is, is a strength. Okay, it's good for us. It's something we need as husbands. Okay, but it also is for us to respond to that with protection and provision. Right, that we God has created us to lead. But there is, there are sinful weaknesses. And I know we, we use the term, we throw it around, and sometimes even in this sermon, I, I think I've used it both ways. Okay? Because she can have weaknesses that are sinful weaknesses. So if you're talking about, um, you know, emotions again, if, again, she's, like, you know, explosive with her emotions, that's a sinful weakness. Okay? It's not, God didn't create her to be explosive in her emotions. Okay? That's how sin has distorted it. Does that make sense? You get what I'm saying? So, to keep those things separate in our minds, to understand that right. Okay? Third thing that he, he, he's told us now is our, and back to our main points. Okay? Uh, the, the first instruction he gave us was to live with her in a certain way. And then he gave us three things about that. Now, he's saying... Treat her as precious just as God does. Treat her as precious just as God does. Again, verse 7. You husbands, likewise, live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker vessel since she is a woman and grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. So in addition to studying her, you must grant her honor. Now, this word honor, the Greek word teme, uh, which oftentimes is translated as honor, Peter uses it a little differently. And, and so it's helpful for us to see how he uses it to understand what he means here. He uses it earlier for Jesus' blood as precious. And he uses it to describe Jesus himself as this precious value of being our cornerstone. So go back to chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 19, to see this. This is the same word, okay? The Greek word teme, okay? <clears throat> so talking about we've been redeemed, verse 19, 119, with precious blood, precious, that's teme, okay? With precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. It is precious. And then in chapter 2, verse 7, Talking about Jesus as our cornerstone. He says, this, and here's the word to me, this precious value then is for you who believe. So he's talking about the, this, this stone that he says, behold, I will you know, lay this stone in Zion. And that's Christ, the Messiah. It is to us a precious value. Okay, it's a precious thing. So you see, that's how Peter is using this word. So it's more than just honor. It, it emphasizes the value or the preciousness that's placed on the item. So, God looked at His Son's blood as precious, and believers look, you know, at Jesus' blood as precious. Okay, and because we see the value that is in that, we see the preciousness of it. How Christ is precious to us as the Messiah, the cornerstone. Our wives should be precious to us. And it should show. It should show. 
It's not enough to say, well, in my heart, I consider her precious. It needs to show if it really is in your heart. And before I read from this, so uh, this book, The Complete Husband, uh, Lou Priolo, uh, first I want to say, and I planned to teach on this a long, long time ago, and Lou went home to be with the Lord this week. And, you know, it's, I don't know, it's hard because he's had an enormous impact on, on me and I know on us. And he's written some uh, amazingly helpful books, so biblical. Um, but I'm happy for him, sad for us, because he's not going to be writing any more books that could be helpful to us. But he's with the Lord and, and he's enjoying, beginning to enjoy his reward uh, for many faithful years. In, in his book, The Complete Husband, Lou pointed out that it is this lack of honor, or we might say preciousness, that so often disposes a husband to be domineering, dictatorial, and harsh in his attempts to be the manager of his home. And sadly, a lot of Christians get that wrong. It's because they're not considering their wife as precious and making it show. And they become... Domineering, They become dictatorial, harsh. And he gives the example, he says, think of her as a, uh, a Waterford crystal vase. Okay, so I've mentioned a breakable vase. Okay, I got that from him. And, and, and so he says, like a Waterford crystal. Now, guys, you're going to have to kind of think through your wife's, wife's eyes, right? Because for us, we're like, okay, whatever, you know. And... Um, you know, it's like, okay, it was expensive. That's all we know. You know, but we're, we don't think of it that way. But think of it the way your wife would. If you had given her this expensive Waterford crystal vase, okay, how's she going to treat it? You know, just kind of toss it in the sink, you know, when it gets... No. She's going to be tender with it, right? And care, a lot of care, okay? And she's going to think of it as something precious. That's what, what Priel is trying to get across as he's bringing out what Peter's telling us. Treat your wife as having exceptional value. She's more precious than the precious stones that you might buy her. Um, you know, you think about the, the jewelry and some of those. It may be expensive. It may be very precious. The stones with great value. But your wife is far more precious and should be to you than any of those. Her physical weaknesses... And her femininity should never be an excuse for not treating her with honor. It should never be an excuse. Don't ever treat those. I'm here talking about her God-given weaknesses the way he designed her. That and her femininity. Don't ever look at those as negative traits. That's how God designed her. Rather, remember her weakness and her femininity is God's design. Your wife is a precious vessel that God has fashioned to be your helper, to be a blessing to you men, to be strong where you're weak, to feel what you lack. Christian husband, think with me for a minute. If if Jesus came down and He gave you this special gift that He made Himself just for you, how would you treat that? Well, you would treat it as more important to you than anything in, in all the world. You know, Jesus made this gift for you specially and came and gave it to you. Okay, you would treat it 
tenderly and consider it precious. Well, husband, Christian husband, Jesus loves you. And He has given you that gift. It's your wife. Treat her with the preciousness, the honor that Christ calls you to. Think here, the end of Proverbs 31, where the her husband, he honors her openly. Verses 28 and 29. So husbands, you're thinking, okay, so what do I do now? Okay, I'm, I'm getting convicted here. You stomped all over my toes. What do I do now? Okay, I'll give you a few of Lupriolo's suggestions. Now, there's a lot more in here. The whole book's wonderful. Uh, first, avoid harsh, demeaning, or condescending speech. Praise her in front of others. Be attentive when she's talking. Be considerate of her time. She doesn't exist... Her schedule doesn't exist to just, you know, do everything for you. Be considerate of her time. She's got her job to do too, okay? Protect her from sin and temptation. There's Ephesians 5 we talked about, right? Dwell more on her positive qualities. I know, it's easy for any of us to dwell on each other's negative qualities. That's, that comes more easily because we're sinners. But work at, develop, at dwelling on her positive don't allow your children to be disrespectful to her. You set the the right tone in the home that she is to be respected, she is to be honored, she is to be considered precious. And then, this is great, behave around her as a man who's in love with his wife. Okay? I mean, when you're together... And it doesn't mean, you know, you have to just, you know, constantly be, you know, like hugging all over each other constantly. I don't mean that. But do people pick up the vibe that, oh, he loves his wife? They, they should. How precious, husband, is your wife to God? He sent his precious son to die for her if she's a believer. And God made her valuable to himself. I'm not saying that she was so valuable that he decided to send Jesus for her. No, none of us were. But he made her valuable by sending his son to die for her. Jesus shed his precious blood to redeem her. She is precious to God. Is she precious to you? Peter tells us then to honor her as a fellow heir of the grace of life. That was revolutionary in their day. Women were not held in honor. MacArthur explains, Husbands were generally uninterested in friendship with their wives, expecting them to merely maintain the household and bear children. In contrast... The husband is to cultivate all the richness God designed into the grace of marriage. And then in his uh, commentary on Ephesians, the passages we've been studying, MacArthur says that a man and his wife must be the best of friends. I agree. 
So, husband, how seriously does God take all this? Your your response. Look at the end of verse 7. You do all this so that your prayers may not be hindered. How you treat your wife has an impact, a direct impact on your prayer life. Scripture teaches that if you sin and do not repent, God will not hear you. Think Isaiah here, verse, or chapter 59, verse 2. Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you, so that He does not hear. Husbands, will we commit to showing our wives how truly precious they are? Will we commit to loving our brides the way that Jesus loved His bride, the church?